And you can see in your bulletin that we are turning now to the first chapter in 2 Timothy. This morning we're going to set out into a new sermon series. I know I've mentioned it before and I mentioned it in my email to the church uh, on Friday, I think it was. This is a sermon series that's been on my mind for a while now. This morning we're going to set out on a series in which we explore what I'm going to call the habits of grace. We can even make that the title of our series. How about that? The habits of grace. And what I mean by that is this. The Christian life that we're called to live, it is a life that's all about our experience of the grace of God. And at the very same time, it's a life in which we experience that grace in part as he blesses our own regular, ongoing efforts to seek and serve him. And I want to say that again because this frames everything we're going to be about for a while now. The Christian life that we're called to live, it is a life that's all about our experience of the grace of God. And it's a life in which we experience that grace in part as he blesses our own regular, ongoing, yes, habitual efforts to seek and serve him. Rhythms and routines, disciplines and drills. And I put it that way deliberately. I use the word and deliberately. Notice I didn't say, but he blesses us in this way. I didn't say it's a life of grace, but it's also a life of regular, habitual efforts. As soon as you say, but, it makes it sound like there's some tension here. Makes it sound like there's some reason to believe that divine grace and human habits don't get along. And we're going to have to find some way to reconcile them, to make them get along, even if they don't want to. No, they get along very well. And in fact, That's going to be one of the things that we explore in this series. Divine grace and human habits go hand in hand. The habits of the Christian life. There's no tension here. There's no opposition here. There's no need for them to be reconciled. I think it was J.I. Packer who made the wry comment in one of his books. He said, friends don't need to be reconciled. Because he he was writing about two truths that we sometimes think are intention, but they're not really. Friends don't need to be reconciled. Divine grace and human habits, the habits of the Christian life, they go hand in hand. It's not but, it's and. The habits of grace. So over the next several months, we're going to be looking at things like participating in the meetings of the church on Sunday. And the things that are a part of of our meetings on Sunday. Those weekly habits with the church. And we're going to be looking at things like our own personal Bible reading and prayer throughout the week. And we're going to be looking at things like meditation and self-examination and repentance and gratitude day after day. These are our habits, our rhythms. 
And hopefully, prayerfully, ideally, what we're going to see all along the way is that our gracious God, our gracious God has called us to these things and he smiles upon them as we take them up. Smiles upon them in such a way that we taste of his grace again and again. We seek and serve him in these familiar, regular ways and lo and behold, we find him when we do so. So I thought we'd get started this morning by turning to the very beginning of 2 Timothy. And here's why. This is going to be a sermon series on the Christian life as a life of grace. Well then, let's start there. Let's start with grace. Let's launch this whole sermon series by taking some time to think together and to learn together from God's Word about God's grace and how that grace positively envelops the life that we're called to live. And what Paul says to Timothy here, at the beginning of 2 Timothy, is gold for that purpose. Here is the grace of God. So listen, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 14. Hear now the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for these words by which Paul taught Timothy in writing. We thank you for these words by which you speak to us today. And that becomes our prayer then. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when some, somebody signs up for a class, maybe it's lessons to learn how to play a musical instrument. Maybe it's a class to learn about something that's going on in the world today. Maybe it's a program to beef up your professional skills so that you can do your job better. Whatever it might be, sometimes it happens that the student shows up all eager on day one to dive right in and get very practical and hands-on and how-to, and then they quickly find themselves frustrated on day one because the teacher says something like, let's take some time to lay a foundation first. No, foundation laying, that's the worst The teacher says, we'll get to guitar chords. Don't worry, be patient. You'll learn how to play Freebird. But let's let's talk about music theory first and music history. Or the teacher says, we'll get to contemporary politics and the upcoming election. Don't worry, be patient. But first, let's talk a little bit about the U.S. Constitution and the Civil War and the Holly Smoot Tariff. That's always a winner. Or the teacher says, we'll we'll get to the latest spreadsheet software that will help you on the job. Be patient. But first, let's talk a little bit about the nature of work and why we work and what COVID has done to the way we work. Ugh, it's foundation laying. That's the worst. I just want to learn how to play Freebird. And what happens? A month later, maybe a year or two later, the student comes back to the teacher and the student says, thank you. I get it now. The student says, I know that you knew that I was squirming on day one. I wanted to dive right in, but you insisted instead that we take some time to lay a foundation first to get the framework in place First, thank you. Because that really paid off. I couldn't see it then, but that really paid off. It made a difference. I really have felt like I've been standing on a solid foundation ever since. And I'm a better guitarist. Or I'm a better informed student of current events. Or I'm a more skilled employee on the job than I would have been otherwise. Thank you. And it wasn't just day one taking that time, it's the fact that I've taken with me in the days ever since what we talked about then and in our first few classes and in our first few lessons. That's what makes it a foundation and not just a memory, not just a box we checked. That's what makes it a foundation right now for the music I make or for the way I look at the world or for the way I go about my job. Thank you for being that kind of teacher. Well, brothers and sisters, God is that kind of teacher. Our God is that kind of teacher. And and you see that in the Bible itself. When you open up the Bible, his word, 
Well, it's true. You're going to find practical and how-to and hands-on. It's in there. God calls us like that. But it's also true that you're going to find there the kind of truth that lays a foundation. That's in there, too. God teaches us like that. God's in no hurry. He's a very patient teacher. God's in no hurry. And we shouldn't be either. He knows what he's doing, and we can trust that he does. We can trust that the time we take for foundation laying will pay off. Precisely because these are truths not just for today. Not just for this Sunday and next and the first few in this series. They are truths for a lifetime to form the foundation that we stand upon and live upon. And sure enough, God, our God, our teacher, teaches us just like that at the very beginning of Second Timothy. This is a good place for us to get going. Because here are foundational truths, framework truths, as we think about the Christian life as a life of grace. The letter that is Second Timothy that we have in the Bible, well, it is just what that title makes it sound like. It is the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that we have preserved for us in the Bible. It's labeled one of the pastoral letters, one of the pastoral epistles, and it's called that because it's a letter in which Paul's doing just that. He's writing to Timothy not just about the Christian life, living as a Christian, he's writing to Timothy about how to be a faithful pastor. Thus, it is a pastoral letter. And in the opening verses, you just heard it, he reminds Timothy about Timothy's own life and background. Because that matters for Timothy. In a sense, that's a foundation he's standing on as he goes about his ministry. And so Paul says, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I love how we get names, Lois and Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And it's saying that that leads Paul into our passage today, beginning at verse 8. 8 down through 14. And I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, there are three facets to this jewel. The jewel of God's grace that I want to highlight for us from this passage. The first is election. The second is redemption. And the third is holiness. They're all in here. Election. Redemption and holiness. So let's take, take a look at them in turn. First of all, election. Look again at verse 8, right? We're, we're training our attention on verses 8 down through 14. So look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, after what he's just said about the spirit we've been given, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, and then here it is, 
but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, if you were here last Sunday, or you were perhaps tuning in via Facebook last Sunday, then you know what I mean when I say that we don't need to spend a whole lot of time today on this one. And that's because this first point, election, this is something that we talked about last Sunday. But it's here again today. It's worth quickly underlining here today because it is part of the foundation that we're standing on today. What Paul's saying here, especially in verse 9, is that in eternity past, as much as this stretches our minds to contemplate it, in eternity past, before time, God chose those whom he would save in time. That's the idea. In eternity past, before time. God chose those whom he would save in time. God did not save us because of works. We did. No, God saved us because of a choice he made. And not recently. We can even say, the way Paul puts it here, God gave us his grace before we were even born. God gave us his grace before time itself was created. And and what is grace? That's worth underlining since this is going to be a series about a life of grace. Grace is God's favor shown to sinners to save them. That's what it is. God's grace is his favor shown to sinners to save them. Well, because God could contemplate us by name before we even existed, well, then it was possible for us, to, for God to set his favor upon us, even then. Grace is God's favor shown to sinners to save them, and he gave it to us before the ages began, election. And brothers and sisters, here the, here's the thrust of this. Here's how this touches down. Yes, It's important for us to learn about the habits of grace. And we will. That's what we're going to be about in this sermon series beginning this Sunday. But it's good for us to remember. It's foundational for you to remember that God's grace doesn't begin with your habits. Even your good habits. As faithful as you are in them. God's grace doesn't begin with your habits doesn't start with you. doesn't even start with the starting point of your own life. God gave us his grace before we were born, before time itself was created. And that is one of the truths that we stand upon now. That's one of the, the truths that we take with us, that we bear in mind. Even, even as we... Seek to be faithful about the habits, the disciplines of the Christian life to seek God's grace. We remember that the grace that we're seeking, as if it were out in front of us to be found, is also behind us. All the way back into eternity past. 
when God chose us by name. So that's the first election. And then here's the second, redemption. And here, look at um, verse 9, but especially into verse 10. Thinking about redemption, thinking about the work of Christ. Look again at verse 9. Paul says that God saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So we've noticed that. Now verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 10. So here's where we make the transition from before time, election, to in time, redemption. Before time, God gave us grace, election, that was our first point. And then in time, in the fullness of time, God manifested grace in the work of Christ, redemption. That's now our second point. So what we're talking about here, just to be clear, is something that happened around 2,000 years ago. The Son of God coming into the world, born as a baby, and then growing into a man, and then suffering under the Romans. And then he died on the cross, and then he rose from the tomb. The work of redemption around 2,000 years ago. And what Paul says here is that when... When he did that, when the Son of God did that, he manifested the grace of God. He put grace on display. God had always been gracious. There was nothing new about that. But when Jesus came and and lived and suffered and died and rose, it had the effect of putting God's grace on display in a new way. As Paul puts it here, Christ's work had the effect of abolishing death. Not in the sense that people don't die anymore. Obviously, they do. We do. We will. But in the sense that Christ's work was the ultimate final death blow against the reign of death. As Paul puts it here, Christ's work of redemption had the effect of bringing life and immortality to light. There there was always life and immortality to be found in God and promised by God. There was nothing new about that. But when Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose, it had the effect of, of taking life and immortality and bringing it into the light like it never had been before, so that we could see it as we had never seen it before. The redeeming work of Jesus Christ manifested the grace of God. And brothers and sisters, here's the thrust of this one. Here's how it touches down. In in this whole sermon series, starting today, yes, we're going to be talking about our own works, Coming to church on Sundays and participating faithfully in what happens here on Sundays and reading our Bibles and praying throughout the week and thinking about what we read 
and praying and obeying what we read and then coming back next Sunday? Those are all good works that are good for us to do. No denying it, no apologizing for it. And yet the primary thing here is not our works of habit and routine. It's Christ's works to seek and save the lost. Christ's works to come and live and suffer and die and rise on the third day. That's the main thing. That's the foundation. That's the framework. And the good works that we do, even the habitual, regular, ongoing works that we do to seek and serve God, we do them, again, standing on the foundation of the works of Christ to seek and save us. And he found us. So that's the second redemption. So the first facet of this jewel was election in eternity past. The second was redemption in time past. Well, now the third facet is holiness right now. Holiness right now in our lives, in the present. God calls us to holiness. Because notice, that's how Paul gets into all of this in the first place. Look again at verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. And then he goes on to say, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And he goes on from there. So this grace that was given us in eternity past, election. That same grace that was manifested in time past, redemption, it all leads to this. God calls us right now in the present to live lives of holiness. And by the way, what is holiness? Since that's in here, let's get clear on that too. It's being set apart unto God. That's the basic idea. It's being set apart unto God. In other words, the idea is we belong to God, well, then we ought to live like it. We ought to live lives of devotion to Him that set us apart from the world around us. That's the idea. We belong to God, well, then, let's live it out. Let's let's live lives that show that we belong to Him and not to the world anymore. And what Paul's saying here is that God calls us to that calls us to holiness because of the grace that we've been thinking about and basking in, including election, including redemption. That's the connection. That's why I wanted us to go to this passage today. God calls us to holiness now because of His grace in election and redemption. And brothers and sisters, here's here's the thrust of it. Here's how this one touches down. We can put it this way. The calling to holiness is not the fine print of God's grace. The fine print. You know how it works. The line that they print at the bottom of the ad. And they print it in a really, really small font. And they print it that way deliberately because they know if you can read it, you might be scared off. Or disappointed or disillusioned so that you bail out. If it's an audio ad, then it's the bit they play at the end really, really fast. 
And we might slip into thinking about the calling to holiness like that. The fine print. Like holiness is a scary side effect of a medicine that otherwise might do you some good. So we don't want to talk about it much. We'll put it in the fine print. Or like holiness is a legal snag that you might get caught in if you don't fill out the correct paperwork correctly. So we don't want to draw attention to that. And I wonder if you ever feel that way. Do you ever feel like the calling to holiness is the regrettable fine print of God's word? That it takes away somehow the wonders of grace that we've just been basking in, like election and redemption, that it robs you somehow of the freedom that you were meant to enjoy, the freedom of grace. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like grace is great, but holiness is a bummer? Grace is great, but holiness is the fine print you wish weren't there. Or you think you can avoid. And so here, here we're taught to think about it in a very different way. The calling to holiness is exactly where God's grace leads. And thank God that it does. This doesn't scare us off or disappoint us or disillusion us like fine print. At least it shouldn't. The calling to holiness is the fruit that God's grace bears. This, this third point in our sermon today, this is what the first two points, in a sense, were for. So point number one, election. If there's no calling to holiness, what were we chosen for? You see that? What's the purpose? And point number two, redemption. If there's no calling to holiness, what did Christ die for? What's the purpose of it? The calling to holiness is the fruit that God's grace bears. This is where God's grace leads. And let us say, thank God for it. And and to drive this home, especially thinking about what's going to be our theme in in the weeks and months to come, the habits of grace, right? Notice, and I love this in this passage, Notice what Paul says to Timothy near the end of our passage in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Paul says this to Timothy, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, Timothy, young Timothy, In your own life and ministry as a pastor, follow the truth that you heard from me and follow the way that you heard it. Paul's saying, Timothy, I gave you an example. So go about your own ministry of preaching and teaching in a way that carefully follows my lead. Now, he's not saying, Timothy, you've got to limit yourself entirely to my exact wording when you preach and teach. But he is saying, I gave you the truth and I gave you a way of saying it that you ought to pay attention to and model yourself after. And that's that's what I want us to notice here in this passage. 
as the bow that we put on the whole thing. After all of these lofty and glorious and foundation-laying things that Paul has said about the grace of God, he can also say, Timothy, be careful. Timothy, be scrupulous to follow a particular pattern of words that you heard from me when I preached and when I taught. The implication is that the grace of God and our being careful about patterns go hand in hand. Perfectly compatible. We can expand it. It's fair to expand it. Thinking about our new sermon series. We can say that the grace of God and our being careful about patterns, habits, rhythms, routines, disciplines, drills. Perfectly compatible. They go hand in hand. And I wonder, again, do you ever feel that way too? Like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Do you ever feel like there's some tension between the grace of God which sets you free and the Christian life in which you are, in a sense, hemmed in by the boundaries of spiritual discipline. And I I want to challenge you on that point because there are a lot of Christians who feel that way. Like there's some tension between God's grace, His liberating grace, And the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life that create boundaries and limits and habits. And if you feel that way, well, it's perfectly natural at that point to think you've got to make a choice between the two. And naturally, you're going to go for God's grace. Who wouldn't? But the practical effect is that the Christian life becomes practically shapeless. And you can end up at the point that the Christian life is just something you're making up as you go along, sometimes from one day to the next. So so to be clear here, the fact that we are bathed in the grace of God, God's liberating grace, that doesn't mean that anything goes. The fact that we're enveloped by the grace of God... That doesn't mean that we can just invent the Christian life on our own and proceed to live it out any old way we want from one day to the next. No, happily, God has given, graciously given, the Christian life shape and definition and even boundaries. So you see, this isn't just Timothy's ministry as a pastor so long ago. It's also your life today, Christian. Our lives as Christians, lives of grace shaped by patterns. Do you see that? Lives of grace shaped by patterns. And not only is there no tension in that, but we can put it positively. It is a gift of God's grace that he's given us those patterns in the first place. Those habits and rhythms and routines. Thank God that he has our gracious God. So, brothers and sisters, that's our foundation. Chosen by God in eternity past, election. 
redeemed by Christ in time past, redemption, and called to holiness by God right now in the present in our lives this morning. So to hearken back to my analogy at the very beginning today, don't worry, we'll, we'll get practical and hands-on and how-to. We'll learn how to play Freebird. We'll get there. But before we do, but before we learn any chords at all, today what we've done has been to look down at the stage we stand on. And it's a stage whose architect and builder is God. And that makes it the best. So let's pray together. Our Father, we call you the God of grace. And you did not become that recently. We look all the way back into the mists of eternity past, and we call you the God of election. You set your love upon us, you gave your grace to us, and that by name. And then we look back to time past, when the Son of God came into the world and by his life and death and resurrection brought life and immortality to light. Redemption. And we rejoice in him. And now we consider our own lives in the present, called to holiness against the backdrop of that electing, redeeming grace. And we pray, and we put it this way, after all we've heard, we pray for grace. To be a people who walk according to the good, wise habits that you've given us to follow. As a church, corporately, as Christians, individually, and families, too. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.